Welcome back to My Brother's Deeper, podcast about two brothers. One lives in England, one lives in Chicago, one's a pastor, one's a writer, otherwise known as the Rufus and Percy Show. <laughs> that's right. We're embracing it. You know, you know on the, we're on Podbean. That's like the basis of our, our podcasting empire. <laughs> but they have these things where you can fill out like descriptions and there's like a nickname part of it. And that's the nickname. Rufus Is that what you Percy put in it? Yeah, so it's official. Okay, well, maybe we should be doing like Rufus and Percy hashtags and stuff. Yeah, I feel like we need to get someone to draw like a cartoony Rufus and Percy, <laughs> and we can use that as our as our image, like caricatures of you and me. Yeah, or you know, yeah, like whatever. You're, just give it the give the artist license to. Draw a Rufus and a Percy, whatever he he or she would think that would look like. The interpretation know? of yeah. Rufus and Percy. Yeah, I, I, and, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's it's going to be a tad bit older than the way we really look. Well, it should be. I think Rufus and Percy are pretty pretty, pretty old sounding names. Old, maybe old world sounding names. I don't know. I will say I I did find myself feeling a little defensive the other day because one of the one of the one of our listeners um, was talking about Rufus and Percy and mentioned to me that yeah no I agree with your brother Rufus is a pretty cool name but Percy yeah and I felt myself going whoa first I'm Percy yeah. in this whole yeah. this whole arrangement so I take that personally but secondly I knew Percy I didn't know Rufus right I. Had- I actually think Percy's a really great name. <laughs> you know, I think it's an amazing name. Do you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool, unique name. I you don't, and also it's rare. You don't run into a lot of them, so you don't. You don't. Like, do you do you connect it to Percival at all? Is that part of what makes it cool to you, or is it just Percy in and of itself can stand on its own? Yeah, I think I don't think of Percival. I think just okay. Percy's. A, it's a it's a cool sounding, like phonetically, it sounds cool. And, then, <laughs> and you know, I don't know, is it like the P-E-R-C-Y it looks cool when you see it written, too? So, yeah. I don't know. Okay. But I, I, I mean, the best person that said it to you is obviously English. <laughs> yes, they are. And Percy is like a name that English people use sometimes, too. Like, a Percy Shelley was English. That's true. But, again, that's pretty old. So um, yeah. I, I've not run into any Percy's here, nor Rufus for that matter. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to say to that. All right, well, you know, teach their own. Well, that's it. And I, I think the reason why I brought it up is because even though it kind of started as a little bit of a fun, uh, a fun thing for us, I found myself feeling attached to it. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about one of the older, our oldest stories. In the Bible. That's right. Cain and Abel. So I'm going to, we'll set it up. Maybe you can, or, but I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to hit you with some weird stuff. And I just need you to, like, bear with me on it. It's fine. No problem. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's sons. Correct. 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 Um, how many, do you know how many? kids Adam and Eve had? Um, I don't for sure. I can just tell you the ones the Bible records. 
So obviously, uh, Cain and Abel were their first two sons. Um, and then after Cain kills Abel, they do have another son, um, and I believe his name is Seth. But then after that, there's just the assumption that they probably did have more kids, probably had some daughters, you know, uh, in order for the population to increase. Different different theories on that, obviously. Um, but no, it doesn't necessarily say exactly how many kids they had. Right. I always had the the notion in my mind that they had like thousands of kids. It could very well be. But like it would have to be like a huge number, right? Like I just remember seeing like lists. There's like a list, right? In the Bible and some Bibles there were they list like. Well, um, yeah, usually the lists in the Bibles are like, you know, from ancestor to ancestor to ancestor. And, uh, and sometimes that will include, you know, they had this many sons and so on and so forth for sure. That definitely happens later. Their story is unique because it's the first time you see death. Right. In the Bible and human death. First time right. you see human death. And it just happens to be a murder. That's right. It's not an accident. It's intentional. Is it, do you think that's kind of strange? Like the first death that we we come across in the Bible is a murder. Um, I don't think it's strange. I mean, I think it is probably intentional from the standpoint of the story that those first few chapters in the Bible are telling. So you got to you got to think about it this way is that, you know, many people look at the Bible um, from a purely historical perspective or uh, purely legend perspective, um, maybe a literary perspective. And I think the way that it was intended to be read by those who wrote it and put it together is a little bit of all that. And so part of the, the literary perspective of Genesis is that you're beginning to tell the story of God and humankind. And so what happens is, is that when you've got Adam and Eve before they have kids being expelled from the Garden of Eden because of their whole eating the fruit serpent story that a lot of people are familiar with, is that you begin to see the, the decline of – human morality. And so I think that's probably the next logical step in regards to telling that story is, you know, what many people would consider the worst sort of offense towards another person helps illustrate just where that moral decline has, has gone. And it's not just like any murder. It's what you would call, you call, you kill your parents. Ratricide. Ratricide. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very like jarring. Well, it's very, it's very jarring. And I think the story even sets up that kind of telling of the story, because as, as you read through the story, it's very clear that these two brothers are different, you know? So like, for example, it talks about how Abel was the keeper of the sheep and Cain is a worker of the ground. All right. So you've got, you've got two different people, like in our kind of 21st century mindset, we would go, well, Hang on. Aren't they both laborers? Aren't they both blue collar workers? But in that environment, like those are two different things, you know, in regards to tilling and working the ground versus someone who's taking care of live animals. Yeah, that's where the beef starts, because they both, Cain and Abel, both give offerings to God and Abel is favored more 
than Kane's, and that's what gets Kane mad. And so you saying, okay, so Kane is is a, a working the land. Abel is like a sheep herder. So obviously, Abel's what he what he offers up is an animal sacrifice, whereas Cain would offer up something whatever he had tilled or he had grown. So God had favored that sort of sacrifice. Um, and I, we'll get in. I'll let you talk about that, but we'll get into the weirdness that I, I was going to talk about. <laughs> okay, I love that. it. So talk about the sacrifices, like what was favored and. Yeah. So I, I think what's happening there is, you know, um, again, the way that the story is presented, uh, there's some intentionality in the wording that's being used. So I think the difference between the two offerings is less about what's being offered as far as the contents. So I don't think it's necessarily because one was an animal and one was, you know, maybe fruits and vegetables or grain or something. I think the key is that in Genesis chapter four, Verse three, it says that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. All right. So an offering. But then clearly in verse four, it says Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So the implication to that is that Abel presented the very best of what he had to offer. And Cain simply presented something, maybe it was left over, maybe it was an afterthought, but the intentionality and really the quality of the offering is what I think the Bible is trying to highlight there, which would, would probably speak to the degree of respect, the degree of, of relationship and trust that Abel had towards God versus Cain had towards God. So if you're given your very best versus your brother who just kind of gives whatever, that's why it says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So this, and that pisses Cain off. Yeah, it says that he's very angry. <laughs> yeah, right. very much so. And he, does he, and he, What's the situation of him walking? He finds Abel, and does he does he stalk him, or he just walks up to him? Yeah, I mean, all it says is that he spoke to him, and then they were in a field. So, so there is a sense that maybe in speaking to him, maybe he led him to a place where no other people were. Yeah, he got him alone, away from the rest of the family. And does he kill him with a like a jawbone? It just says that he. Yeah, that's a different story. Um, it just says he killed him. That's it. It doesn't so go into did, any detail. Where did, where did like it's like the jawbone of an ox or something like that? Where did <laughs> that come from? So that's a story like later in uh, I believe it's in Judges. Um, I will say this is one of the scary things about doing a podcast is now I'm saying things that other people can look at and go, why didn't you know that, dude? Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure like that's that's later in um and judges and uh it's a story yeah where um somebody is making fun of a guy a prophet and um he's like how dare you make fun of me and he starts like he takes the yeah he takes the the bones of a um of an animal and he just starts like waylaying a bunch of people so but that's a whole like that would be something to talk about later from the standpoint of how it got to that position into that part. But by that point in the story, to your original observation, like killing and murder become much more commonplace. 
where this is the very first one. Yeah, that is Judges before Sodom and Gomorrah, or is that after? Uh, it's after. Because I feel like that isn't that like a breaking point of like from where you start with Cain and Abel and then you get to Sodom and Gomorrah and it's like, oh, man, it's just all kinds of crazy things are happening. Things are getting out of control. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would go – I think I'd go earlier than that because not long after this story – so this is in Genesis 4 and Genesis 11, you have what's called the Tower of Babel. Right. And and because of because of all that going on and everything, craziness happening. Um, before but even before that, you've got the story of Noah, and yeah. and you've got God, you know, wiping out the entire world, if it were, because it gotten so bad. So it gets bad in a lot of places in the story. Right. So it seems like we don't learn anything. Well, that pretty much is the history of the yeah. Bible. Yeah, I, I think, and actually, I think that's a. I think it's that's actually a, a very, very astute observation, Josh, from the standpoint is that pretty much the entirety of the Old Testament, the 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 first part of the Bible, if it were, I, I think it's better to call it the first testament versus the Old Testament because it old almost makes it seem like it's outdated and not of use when it's incredibly useful. So the, the, the whole of the first or Old Testament really is that story, is God interacting with his creation and saying, I've got a way for you to live that I think is – that I know is the best way for you to live. And if you would follow that, you would experience blessing. But they don't follow it, and they continue to do their own thing, and the Bible basically records God interceding, whether it's through prophets, whether it's through kings, whether it's through famine and pestilence, you know, all these sorts of different things, essentially to get people's attention and to say, turn back to me, look at me. Do you ever think there was a point where God was like, man, I'm not very good at this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think he put it in that terms, uh, but I do think he he looks at his creation and his heart breaks. You know, it's it, it would be like, you know, it'd be like you or me looking at our children and instead, you know, none of us would go, well, I'm not very good at making children. But we would go, my goodness, we're, we're trying to do everything we can in order to point them in the right direction, you know, but they have their own free will. They have their own minds and they make their own decisions. And. I think that's one of the things that we all try to think through in regards to our faith is, you know, how does a how does a good and sovereign divine being connect to a creation that has its own free will? How does all that work together? That's probably where he's like, I messed up there. I shouldn't have gotten free will. That was my bad. Uh, when I do it again, I won't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, but then at that point, you—I mean, now we're getting into all this philosophy stuff. At that point, then you—you you would be able to have to question the sincerity of people's expressions of faith and love and joy, because if if you don't give them free will, then you've essentially programmed them and created a bunch of robots. Well, there are some people that do believe that. Absolutely. That, like all of this is just a simulation. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely, yeah. You know, and that, and there is something to be said too about states of reality, uh, thinking that you that everything that is going on right now, we're just creating it as we go, 
you know, because what, what do we really know? Like if you, but, you know, but isn't that if you're, even... if you're a science, if you're a science person, say like you're not, say you're an atheist and you, you believe just wholly in the science, a lot of the stuff that we, that we're, we don't have anything figured out. All of it's theory, mm-hmm. right? You know, quantum mechanics and string right. theory and all that stuff is just theory, you know, and it, at times it's probably magic. Right. Like we don't know. <laughs> We don't know what's going on. Right. You know, well, it, I like mean, the, isn't that it's like the insane clown posse? Have you ever heard of them? Unfortunately, yes. Me too. I'm not a fan. <laughs> but it has this very interesting, not on purpose song about how the magnets work. Okay. And they, they think it's magic, you know? Yeah, right. No, we know how magnets work, but there is a lot of that out there of just like, what? Like, okay. Yeah. We don't know anything, you know. Well, well, isn't that like a – I don't know who wrote it, like some famous science fiction writer or something. I don't know if it's H.G. Wells or Arthur Clarke or whatever. I, I think it's Asimov. Is it Asimov? Okay. I, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, who basically is like everything is magic until science explains it, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right that it looks that way. But here's what I think is interesting too is you know, along those degrees of people – questioning reality and what is a simulation and what is in that sort of stuff. You know, I think one of the most influential uh, movies and expressions of that, you know, was the matrix. Definitely. And, and essentially though, at the, at, at the core though, the, the matrix is still asking that question that even in the midst of altered reality and perception being projected onto you, that the core essence of that story for the hero is his ability to make a choice, right? His ability to go against the program and go against the altered reality and to accept. He has the choice whether or not to accept what is actual reality versus what could be purported towards reality. And I think that's that's the fundamental question that that we all still talk about and struggle with is, you know, what is of, of our choice and what is not of our choice. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Matrix is on another level though, because like he's taking, he has to take a pill, and like, what is that? That that like he could get if he's in a dream state at that point when he takes the pill, but he's taking a a pill that's going to wake him up. But when people in real life take pills, it's like something that changes you, changes like your physiology. Yeah, like your yeah. So there's like a whole another level. Anyway, yeah. I don't I don't know about the the two sequels and then they're making a fourth. I thought the, I I actually liked the second sequel. You did? I did. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I mean, I I know I'm speaking to like a super duper film critic here, but I think just from my perspective, I liked the second one. I didn't like the third one as much, but I thought the second one had some really good um, themes that they, that they uh, explored. I would not describe myself as a super duper film critic. Um, but you did just because that's beneath you or because it's ascribing too much. Cause I'm not. Yeah, you are. I read your, I read your, uh, your piece that you wrote on, um, the master, the master. Yeah. Yeah. Which by the way, so tell everybody where that's found and how they can access that. Yeah. I just publish stuff on, you don't make money or anything. You just publish it yourself on medium. There's another one too about reservoir dogs. Oh, really? Yeah, there's two I've published on there. Um, 
But yeah, that's a whole, I, that's a good tie-in because that story of Gilgamesh and the yeah. Kaiju takes place, probably takes place around the time of, of Cain and Abel. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, but that whole, mm-hmm. there's similar stories. Like there's a, in the Gilgamesh story, there's a flood story as well. Right. Definitely. Yeah. There must have, at that time, there must have been a huge thing going on in the that world. That inspired, Locked. yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so Cain kills Abel, and then God, this is something that, that I've always thought about, is like God goes to Cain and asks him where his brother is. Wouldn't God know that? Absolutely. So he's just trying to, he's just goading Cain. I mean, that's one word for it. You, you could also say like as a uh, – again, like from the from the view of a parent, you're, you're knowingly and graciously giving, giving your son an opportunity to come clean. So like, I've had, we, like we've had to do that with our kids before. It's like we know they did something wrong. They don't know that we did it, and we go, hey, such and such happened. Like where is that? And you're just you waiting just, to see how they respond. To see if they tell the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but Kate's got a, a a really interesting answer for God. He says, uh, "I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper?" Which is, you know, we said before, my brother's keeper is a playoff of that. And I mentioned last time how insolent that is, and you also uh, agreed with that about how that pops up a lot yeah. in the old about just people giving it to God, like. Yeah, uh, there's it's it's amazing to me. Yeah, this almighty creature that could crush you, and you're like basically giving them the finger. Yeah, completely, completely. Yeah. But I mean, to some degree, I mean, obviously that happens today because there are people who don't believe in God, and so by not believing in Him, that's a very similar attitude from His perspective. You know, if if that were to be. You know, at the end of time, something you find to be true, you go, okay, um, my attitude towards him was insolent, or at the very, very least, it was I was ignoring him, kind of a thing. So I think what's cool is that the Bible does not pull punches in regards to how people really do interact and view and talk to God. And I think for me personally, that's encouraging because it gives it gives a bit of humanity to it, rather than you know everything being rainbows and unicorns. Cain says that to him, to God or her, whatever. Hey, it's all fluid. <laughs> it's interesting how you, you, you refer to God as he. Well, the only reason I do is again, because I'm using the language of scripture and that's how scripture describes God. And so as someone who has a high view of scripture, um, I tend to, to try to be faithful to the way, it presents it rather so, – so like rather than imposing my own thoughts, I allow it to pose thoughts on me. Yeah, so I refer to God as a she, but I have a sneaking suspicion that God doesn't have a gender. I agree. I don't think yeah. God has a gender either. I, I think there's a reason why the uh, masculine gender is used, but I don't think that the reason it's used is because God is a male by any stretch. Right. Yeah. So what does God say to Cain once Cain like flips that back in his face? <laughs> when he says, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Uh, it says here, the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
So he's like, wow. listen, I know what's up. And then he goes, and now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And then he details what the curse is. He says, when you work the ground, so that thing that you were doing, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So basically, that, he goes, I'm going to make it hard for you. Is that technically the mark of Cain? Um, like that curse? That's a great question. I should know that right away. I, I do think that's the mark of Cain because he says later, you've driven me away from the ground and from my face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And so – so God goes on. This is what's interesting, Josh. So the mark of Cain is not only a curse, it's also a protection. Because after Cain says, listen, if you're going to do that to me, um, people are going to know that I'm cursed by you. And so you're basically condemning me to death. And the Lord says, no, if anyone kills you, vengeance will be taking on, taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. So the mark of Cain is actually a protection on one hand, but an identifier that, yeah, this is Cain who did me wrong, but he's also under my protection. Is it a physical mark? It sounds like it. So there's all kinds of uh, theories surrounding what the actual physical yes. mark would be. Links into that later. But I want to circle back. So to the weirdness so a long time ago i read this book called ishmael yeah by by a writer called daniel quinn okay and the setup of it is the the narrator whose name you never know is looking for jobs in the paper newspaper when people look for jobs in newspapers and he finds an ad that calls for someone who is fluent in sign language and this narrator happens to be fluent in sign language. So he answers the ad. There's an address you go to, he goes to. And in this room at this address is a mirror. And not a mirror, but a glass, like a two-way glass where you can see through the glass. And in that, on the other side of the glass is a gorilla. And the gorilla starts signing with this man, narrator. And it turns out this gorilla is super smart. And he starts to give this guy he wants this guy to sort of write down what he has to say the gorilla does okay through the sign language and what he tells him is like sort of a history of the world and where human beings went wrong and he starts with the bible and he starts with the story of cain and abel and he labels cain as a group of people called the takers and abel as a group of people called the leavers Takers are agriculturalists. Okay. Leavers are hunter-gatherers. So when when they do the offering of Cain giving him something from the land and Abel giving him something from the animal world, animal sacrifice, and God choosing Abel's offering, God is basically saying that what you're doing as agriculturalists is wrong. Oh. Or you're taking from the land is not the way the human race needs to go. Interesting. So this gorilla and Ishmael is saying that where human beings went 
wrong, went off the track, was when they stopped being hunter-gatherers and started tilling the land. Okay. I mean, I I guess that's an interesting perspective. I mean, it again, just from the standpoint of what's being talked about from the Bible, that seems like that happens – it begins in tandem. So it's not a matter of one before the other that's happening at the boat at the same time. Um, and I, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like that stops by any, any stretch of the imagination that people are doing both throughout the rest of, of the stories as well. So is your, is your idea but then? The, oh, the, 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 I think his point is that, you know, when Cain kills Abel, it's basically this transition of like, okay, he's killing uh, on a surface level, he's killing Cain, Abel basically so he could get all that herding land so he could till it so he could aggro he could aggro it gotcha so it's just a struggle hmm. at that time which I, it seems probably in historical terms probably accurate you know like if you wanted more land and there was this, this sheep herder over here you're going to move them off so you can plant some things yeah, but that would go the other way too, right? Like if you were a sheep herder yeah. and wanted more land, you'd, you'd take out the other guy so you could do that. Yeah. But I, I, I think that's a good kind of a good metaphor for it. Uh, I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean I do think I, I do think, you know, it's interesting just the the contrast between the two because it seems like tw- from a a modern perspective both are from the land. You know, like I, I think we would look at people who are farmers, whether it's raising animals or raising uh, vegetables or grain as, as a similar field. Like we wouldn't necessarily bifurcate those two, you know. Don't you think, though, the agriculture led to to more of the digging up of the earth and looking for gold and ores and coal? And which I mean, is, potentially. Which is, and that's why you, that's why I was going to ask you the question, like, is, is part of that story coming from uh, an environmental perspective? I definitely think that's probably it. But yeah. You see, like we were just talking about the flood story in the Bible, and it pops up in other mythologies as well, is that at some point, I think those stories were pulling from uh, a mini ice age mm. where where there was probably massive flooding all over the world. Mm. So that's environmental. Like it's always been environmental. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that if you go a little bit further back in the story, when God is originally talking to Adam, one of the things that he does with Adam is he actually says to him, you're, you're to take care of the earth. You're to take care of creation. You're to take care of the animals and the earth. So it's, it's, it's a both and it's, it's taking care of the entire creation because everything that God created in the story, it's declared it is good. It is good. It is good. And so, yeah, I, th- I think again, like, um, from the very beginning, the plan has been that we should be taking care of what we have around us. And we keep messing it up. We do. Yeah. We do keep, yeah. keep, uh, adding so to I, the problem. I think that goes right into the this theory of like why God accepted Abel's 
sacrifice more so than Kane's is because he's. It, I think he was probably saying like, if we kill, if you keep going down this stuff, you're going to keep running into these environmental issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think part of the, I think part of the challenge with that would be though, you know, later down the road, the language that God uses more than any other language in referring to the role of kings and leaders is that of a shepherd. And so you've got King David, who was also a shepherd, just like Abel. Um, you have Christ himself, who calls himself, you know, a shepherd. He's referred to that later in the New Testament as the chief shepherd. And I think what you have, too, is you, you, you have maybe a different look on this is that, that those who tend after the sheep, those who tend after live beings in a, in a, in a way, um, are those who also are taken advantage of and killed innocently. And so in a way, I think you, could, you also have something playing out where, where it's not so much a struggle back and forth between the land, but it's a struggle f- really for humanity. And that Abel in many ways is a, a kind of type of, of Jesus, a type of Christ, because he's a shepherd. Who's killed innocently of his own uh, uh, of his own accord, or not because of his own fault, um, and someone who gave his very best to God. And I I think that's it's, when you look through when you look through Scripture, that's probably what's beginning the very first kind of type and beginning of what's what's happening in regards to the presentation of those stories. But I agree with you that the issue of taking care of the earth is a battle. That has started from the very beginning and people abusing the earth, people abusing what they have. I think that's that's part of part of the issue that we have even today. Like we're unfortunately because of political lines drawn, people think that it's a political issue rather than a, a stewardship issue for humanity. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely politicized today. But what up? Well, Cain gets sent to some land, right? Like some area. Yeah. And like that area is like a people avoid, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it just says essentially that he's, he settled in a land east of Eden, which is interesting because, you know, that that right there is kind of a, a phrase that you would kind of pay attention to because in earlier with his parents in, in chapter three, when they leave the Garden of Eden, it says that they were driven to the east of the Garden of Eden. So east of Eden is kind of where where people went. So Cain apparently went even further east and says settled in the land of Nod. And then he wound up having his own wife, his own kids. And it refers specifically to one child who built a city. And then that's that that's basically it. That's the end of Cain that we hear. Sort of. um weird things that other sort of factions put on on Cain. Like a lot of people, a lot of Christians think Cain was like the first Jewish person and like the Jews are kind of like come down from Cain, you know? Because there's always like inciting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you would you would have to. Like if you, if you're yeah, if you're a Jewish person, then then obviously you you would trace your roots back to Cain, just as you would eventually all the way back to Adam. Yeah, but Christians use it as like a, uh, a derog- like a derogatory thing, though. Like, yeah, but just, yeah, just because he's presented in, 
Yeah, because he was the first murderer. He's the first, you know, he's the first person that took, you know, took things to the most extreme place and, and killed also, an innocent person. Also, the mark of Cain has been used to say that the actual physical mark is black skin. Yeah, I have heard that. Which is, but is it? Yeah, that is unfortunate. They used that during sort of slavery times. But totally, totally. Another thing that this this book. Ishmael flips is the mark of Cain actually being white skin because most of those people would be Darker. dark skin. Right. That the mark of Cain was actually white skin. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing where, you know, you're talking about before in regards to the mark of Cain, what does that represent? The only thing that we can say with certainty, because uh, there's not very much that we can say with certainty at all, is that the mark would have to be visible. So it's something that people would have to see. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, um, I'm giving you this mark, and if anyone who finds you should attack you, then they know that I'm protecting you. So it would have to be something visible. So whatever that is, it would be it would be common to those who looked upon him. So with that, what he says to God about it, my, my brother's keeper, that becomes something bigger as yeah. you look at it more because – the, what is the answer? The answer is like, yeah. Yeah, but I think the I think the focus should be more on the question itself rather than the answer, because by asking the question, am I brother, am I my brother's keeper? What he's really asking is, am I responsible for that person? Do I have any sort of care? Do I have any sort of accountability for how they're doing and what they're doing? Um, and that's a big question. I mean, because from the standpoint of just literal brothers, uh, family, extending it out to friends. You know, this idea of am I my brother's keeper basically says, do we only look out for ourselves or should we be looking out for other people as well? Yeah, that's the thing that I take from it is it's a broader question about humanity. It is. Absolutely. And I I think that's the arrogance in the question, (laughs) you know, is that here, here God's, you know, already knows what's happened. And Cain's probably feeling some guilt at this point. And and he initially is like, well, why are you asking me? Am I, I'm not responsible for him. And the implicit answer is, of course you are. Of course you're responsible as well. You're his brother. You're, you're kin. You're, you're part of the new human race as well. So, of course, we should be responsible for one another and care for one another. I think that another interesting thing is the way the punishment of Cain is not what you would think in, in an Old Testament style punishment. It's like like an eye for an eye sort of thing. Yeah, it's not that he's given like some leniency, like he's given his life, he's given some land. They might have a curse on him, but you, as you mentioned before, it kind of works mm-hmm. for him in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a kind of a misnomer as far as punishments go in the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right. In many ways, it's not as severe as it, it could have been or severe as other punishments that you see in similar situations. Um, and I think you could point to this as well and go, okay, well, you know, what does that say about God? What does that say about the other character in this story? You've got Cain and Abel. You've, you know what he does. You know what happens to the other. But what does that say about the the character of God himself, the development of who he is at the beginning stages of the story, 
now you're beginning to go, well, okay, maybe God is not always, you know, in many people's viewpoint, he's not always vindictive. He's not always mean. And maybe there is a sense of, of mercy that he extends and a sense of grace that he extends. And I think that's definitely a case in the story is that you see, you see God in a way that many people would say that's not very Old Testament ish, if it were. No, it seems very, very non Old Testament. And yeah. it's, it's a strange, it's actually a pretty kind of, grabby story though like it's like it kind of like when you deal we mentioned this earlier about how murders kind of like draws people in you know yeah i wonder if like the the story of the bible was like they were getting you know, like you know, telling the adam and eve story and i'm like man this is boring we should like <laughs> murder right yeah i mean it's been a while since we talked about something racy like a serpent so we need to yeah. find something else in there. We're not, like you don't know if that's the devil or not right as far as the serpent yeah. Well, so it's interesting that yeah, it it in the story it never refers to the serpent as the devil. Right? It's always refers to it as the serpent. But the implication is is that whether or not it was an actual snake being controlled by Satan or it was Satan in the form of a serpent presenting himself we, nobody knows, but it's clear that the serpent is speaking against God and knows things about God that not even Adam and Eve know about. And so the conclusion is, is that, okay, well, that, that really limits who it could be. Um, the interesting thing is this, though, and I don't, I don't necessarily have a question or an answer for this, but the interesting thing that I always thought about that story in particular is, you know, here's, here's, here's Adam and Eve, and at this point – They've already named all the animals, right? So, or Adam named all the animals. Eve conceivably knew what those names were afterwards. And then a snake, a serpent starts talking to them, and they don't freak out that the that it's talking to them. So there's been some speculation that maybe at that point, like animals could talk. Maybe that was something that was normal, and that's why they didn't freak out. Or there are some really good mushrooms in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Well, I'm sure there were. Right. Whether or not they whether or not they partook of them is a different story. But they were given permission to eat of anything. Yeah. Except for that one tree. So Yeah. Maybe. Were Adam and Eve were they still alive when this Cain and Abel thing happened? Yeah, absolutely. Because remember later they, they then have Seth. Right. So yeah. what do, what were they going through during this time, do you think? That's a great question. I mean yeah. I I mean, I think you can put yourself in the in the position of, you know, people whose children fight against each other and and then ultimately kill each other. I'm sure their heart was broken. I'm sure they're yeah. absolutely crushed. Or, you know, you know, they just had so many kids. They're just like, oh, well, you know, some, you break a few eggs. It could be. It could be. Or or think about it this way. Think about maybe they didn't have all the bunch of kids until later. Yeah. And so Cain and Abel obviously are their first two. They lose one son because he dies and they lose another son because he's banished. So they go from two to zero. So losing two sons at the same time, that's right. gotta be heartbreaking. Absolutely yeah. heartbreaking. And then, you know, more than likely 
they didn't see either of those sons again either. Like Cain, Abel being dead and Cain being banished, they probably never knew Cain's, you know, extended family from that point on. Right. Yeah. I, you're saying that this is sort of like the beginning of well, the Garden of Eden would be like the beginning, very beginning of like the fall of morality. Yeah, assuming. that's how it's presented. Yeah. And well, so would this be like sort of like the like a murder would be sort of like what what like what are we to learn from this? I mean, I think there's a lot of different things. I think, um, in particular, with the murder itself, I think what you're you're beginning to see is the the gradual yet inevitable decline of morality of of trust towards God. So, cause you got to remember the way God's presented at the very beginning of the story, um, is, you know, he, he is, he is everything. He is, he is the divine. He is the creator. He is, he is everything. And so you see the very first sin, the very first sin of disobedience is a lack of trust where they, they essentially believe a lie from the serpent. But then the very next sin we see is a murder. So that's a pretty big, you know, jump. In regards to how we would view consequences of, of morality, so I think part of what we learn from this is um, human beings have the capacity for the absolute worst in their nature. So I think that's part of it. And then I think the other aspects, you know, we've kind of talked about from the standpoint of responsibility towards our neighbor. You know, which is a story that that you know, it's a pretty famous story that Jesus picks up on later where he talks about the good Samaritan. I mean, that's a story of, that's a story about being your brother's keeper. That's what that's about. Right. And, and just the idea too, of, you know, um, the consequences of, of our actions. Give it to Jesus to do a really good callback. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He can connect but it. The thing about Cain that's interesting to me is like, he is a, I don't know if it's a borderline or just full on psychopath because he commits the murder and then he's confronted by God and he's like, I don't know, you go, you'll find him. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you're right because think about I, I think not only that, but think about the whole thing of him killing Abel, right? Like, you know, you, you you've heard the expression hurt people hurt people. You know, if you have experienced yeah. some sort of hurt in your life, you wind up extending that. I mean, I think a pretty good case can be made that that Cain wasn't – he didn't commit murder because he was mad at Abel. He committed murder because he was mad at God. Yeah. God's the one who rejected his offering. God's the one who said it wasn't good enough, and he takes it out on his brother. That's why I think it it's easy to call people crazy. Hmm. And there's more nuanced way of looking at people. That's why I think that it could have been more calculated on Kane's end. I think it had a lot to do with like land. Like he's just like, they make the offerings. God says, Oh, we, I'm going with Abel's. And I think Kane's like, wait a minute. Like, no, the, like this is the way we've got to go. We got to grow stuff. And all right, well, I'm just getting rid of them. <laughs> like yeah. off the land and like when I can plant more stuff and like we, we you know we can start these bigger societies that just yeah. sounds a lot more uh it sounds a lot more reasoned and sounds yeah, so much more calm that's why I think that the yeah well that's probably because it's the way I'm saying it but <laughs> it could have been more heated debates going on with Kane and whoever he's hanging out with 
um, the takers. But well, um, I mean, yeah, I think again, just it's it's one sentence, but I think it tells a lot. It says he was very angry and his face fell. Yeah. So this this idea of like he he was ticked off that God did what he did and said what he said and he was crushed. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's interesting because then God literally says to him, "Why are you angry?" So God questions him. Like he sees that he's angry. I don't know if it's because of like his attitude or what, but like so the issue here is anger. Why are you angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So there's this idea of what he was doing was not good. It wasn't so much what he was doing, but it was, again, the quality of what he was doing. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. So again, I I, I think kind of as, you know, I don't say this in a pretentious way. I just say this in a practical way. As a theologian reading through this, I think that what what uh, what the story is trying to get at is sin is present and the power of your own desires to get what you want is super dangerous. And you have to be in control of that. You have to be in control of now what is human nature. And if you're not in control of human nature, the result is chaos and murder. And I think that that applies I mean, you just look around the stinking world, yeah. right? People who are not in control of their desires, of their selfishness, it leads to chaos. It leads to poverty. It leads to vaccines being hoarded. I mean, it, it leads to all this sort of stuff that impacts the rest of the world. And it comes back to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, it's a, it's a really sort of – it's really – kind of deeply burrowing look into murder about how murder is committed because murder is sort of a strange, because uh, most of us don't want to, you know, couldn't well, find an hour to do it, but it is, a, it's so, it is kind of, you do kind of lose yourself when you do it. Well, you know? I, I think what it does too, Josh, you're absolutely right. I think it, it, it puts the microscope on not so much the end result I mean, it is it is about the end result. Murder obviously is absolutely horrible to take another life. But the microscope goes deeper and says it's that's not where it begins. Where it begins is with anger. Yeah. You know? And again, like you go to, you know, how, how does eventually Jesus handle this topic? I mean, he Jesus will literally say, um, you know, you're just as guilty of murder if you're angry at somebody. So what's yeah. he what's he saying there? He's saying at the heart of it, it's all the same. At the heart of it, it's it's how you how you deal with your emotions and how you handle and control yourself, um, and how you essentially take care of the people around you. Yeah, we men are angry. We're so angry. Yeah, and like, and like we're just angry little kids. Something happens and we just lose our top, take our ball home, and. <laughs> We do, and we're still we still struggle with this. Men struggle. We talk about this. We've been talking about this a lot. It's come up like, what is it to be a man? Yeah, and to be a man really is to be angry. Mm. You know, and uh, well, it's something we me, all have to work, we all have to work on, but it's never it's it's not easy for men to talk about. No, you know, 
And and I would I I would put a a slight spin on that and say to be human is to be angry. And in, and I'm using this in a positive term. To be a man means you're able to control your anger. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying perfection. I'm not saying that you got to yeah. do it all the time because we never do. But I would say you know, and I'm again I'm using man from the standpoint of maturity is that um, everyone can be angry. Little kids can be angry. But to really be a man to, to, or to be a, a woman, you know, to, to be in that level of maturity means you're actually able to control it and, and to consistently exhibit some form of self-control. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Cain did not meditate. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that, too. I think it is. And I think it's I think it's. Uh, uh, you know, at, uh, at the risk of, you know, continuing to go back to that well, I, I think that's something you and I have talked about quite a bit just in regards to our own upbringing and watching the anger of our dad, the temper of our dad and, um, you know, other family members as well. And being able to to pinpoint that as, you know, an area of weakness or an area for us to try to avoid. Yeah. So it's, it's really good to tie that into a Bible story. Well, you know, you know? It's, it's it's uh it's not hard to do, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lessons. There's a ton of lessons. I mean, I think that's the thing is that just strictly as a piece of literature, right? Yeah. There, there's so much that you can connect to to go, okay, there's there's universal truth here. You know, mm-hmm. there's truth that as as every human being, regardless of their belief, can connect to and go, okay, yep, I see that. You know, and I think, you know, the way it's presented usually is is in a pretty challenging, interesting way as well. Um, but you know, I think it gets back to as far as a tie-in, it gets back into you know, just even even how we interact with each other, just you and me as brothers, as, you know, my two sons as well, you know, as my, all my children, the sisters also. Yeah. That, that's a good transition. And what we'll do next is talking about being brothers and uh, what it's been like, what, we, what we've learned and all that. We'll do that next. Um, but this has been fun. Um, not like the Abraham episode we did before it's always good to like do a nuts and bolts yeah episode of like uh and get perspectives of these different stories because we both grew up with these stories you know definitely and then, i mean i know a lot of people as well went to yeah. Sunday school out there and they know these they, they they're like the what you would call like the the tent movie yeah. spectacle stories yeah, because the Bible is big. There's a lot of stories in it, but there's like the main ones of like you know everybody knows Adam and Eve, everybody knows Cain and Abel, everybody knows yeah. Abraham and Noah and Moses and all yeah. that. They at least recognize the names and but it's good to, tell you a little bit about the story. Yeah, yeah, and it's good to like go in and sort of dissect those bigger stories. You know? Well, I think you're. I think it is. You know, it's funny because again, another one of our listeners. I was I was talking to him this past weekend. And him, I'm going to give him credit for this. Um, he was mentioning Humpty Dumpty, right? The nursery rhyme. And I'm sure you know this, but nowhere in that rhyme does it ever say that Humpty Dumpty was an egg. No. Right? Yeah. But, but, but because of 
the books that we've read, the pictures that we've seen, the stories that we've told, like it's implanted into our mind when we hear the name Humpty Dumpty, we see an egg usually, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what happens over time is that we, we view stories like the Bible, stories in the Bible, and we fill in the gaps because we heard something or we saw something and we go, oh, no, that's the way it happened. That's the way it looked. That's the reality of it. But when you, when you, like you said, start doing the nuts and bolts of it and go, well, hang on. No, this is actually what was said. And this is actually what, what the way it's presented. You get a better and more faithful picture of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the Bible being so popular yeah, and in all of these writings that, that, talented writers have have done like you know like Dante's Inferno mm-hmm. and uh, Milton all these things like especially with, with when you talk about Satan like I don't know we'll talk we should do something on that at some point but like a lot of what we know about our view as Satan and the devil have been sort of out um, <laughs> not from the Bible but just like other other media definitely oh there's no question that's that's, lucifer in the the name lucifer in the bible yeah Yeah. it is i mean it's there's a yeah it's 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 um it's derived it's like in a um a transliteration of of a, a different language of the hebrew language and so, uh, and it means something else, but yeah, so I think you're right. I think that happens even today where our ideas of say, even, you know, if you believe in an afterlife, you know, what does heaven look like? And you hear people talk about bright lights and streets of gold and all this sort of stuff. It's like, where does that really come from? Is that have any basis whatsoever in scripture? Um, or does it come from, you know, the Renaissance depictions of these scenes or you know there's the one i always think of i can't remember the name of the painter it's a very famous painter but it's a very famous painting where um you know you've heard of one of the disciples named thomas and he's got the 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 um the name doubting thomas because in the in the bible he's the guy when people say jesus is resurrected he's like nah whatever i need to see him if i'm going to believe it and then Jesus shows up and he says something along the lines of, you know, if you want to touch, touch, you know, uh, where they pierced me or, or you want to touch the, the holes in, in from the nails in my hands. And there's this very famous painting where where it shows Thomas like reaching out and touching the 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 nails in, or the holes in the hand. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to when they talk about that story and they're like, yeah, I mean, it's okay to doubt, which I think it is. I think that's normal in, in faith, uh, in life. It's okay to doubt because, you know, even Thomas doubted and he had to touch Jesus's wounds before he believed. He actually didn't. He never touched them. In the story, Jesus makes the offer. He never does it, and he instantly falls to his knees, and he says he's believed. But because that painting for hundreds of years is depicted that scene in that way, we all assume Peter touched Jesus. Now, that's a fairly small and insignificant example, but I think it is an example of how we fill in the gaps in regards to these stories. That's a whole other sort of – we could do a whole thing on that just about how – how much of uh, we filled the gaps in in a lot of these stories? Completely, uh, yeah. Like, um, I guess with Cain and Abel, you know, the jawbone thing. 
Like right. I mentioned that, thinking that that was part, like he, that's part the, the weapon story. he used. Right. You know, that was probably in some other media. Somebody just kind of yeah put that into the story. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, all right. Um, like I said, the next, the transition to the next episode, the reason why we did Cain and Abel is because we wanted to do, since we had done episodes on our mother and our father and talk a lot about our family, it was only fair to do one on brothers. So why not start with first murder? <laughs> That's right. Get that out of the way. But yeah, so the next time you, we come I back, mean, we'll talk about it. And on one hand, it's pretty genius of you, Josh, because if we, we start with that, then we're just going to look good compared to them. Definitely. Like, <laughs> so, this, is the, this is the worst. Right. And, and then we're over here. <laughs> yeah. We're not that bad. Right, exactly. So we thank you guys for listening. Do you have any last things to say? I mean, last time you kind of crushed it. So I'm not expecting <laughs> I know. That. I feel pressure now. And I, yeah. I mentioned like going back and writing that stuff down, which I didn't do. But no, I, I would I would repeat that from the standpoint of thank you to everyone for listening and uh you know please check us out on uh podbean check us out on spotify uh apple podcasts as well um and then again like i think the key thing is if if you're enjoying what you're listening what you're hearing please just share it with other people share it with friends share it with family um not because we are any sort of way um you know trying to be you know big or whatever but we, it's enjoyable to us we 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 like what we're doing and we think it connects with other people um because we know other people are thinking similar things and asking similar questions and if we can help in any sort of way um then that's what we want to do so uh share it with others and um and let other people know about it yeah so we both have instagram pages we have an instagram page for my brother's deeper um the best way to share is if you do like we're we're posting stuff on there all the time. So if you do like it, or you learn something, or you like, hey man, somebody should like this. This is really kind of I, I kind of relate to this. Share it on your stories, you know, on your Instagram stories. Um, we would like to reach a, a wider audience, not because we're greedy, yeah, but because um, we think we have a lot to share, and people would get something out of it. Yeah. So. And and even if you've got questions or suggestions yeah. about things that we could talk about or discuss, like we're open to that just, as well. Yeah, or if you just want to share a similar story, like yo, know, I grew up like that too, or yeah. um, I had the same thing going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And we've also talked about like briefly about maybe having someone else on the show, you know, mm-hmm. talk about talk about their thing, talk about their family woes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of talk to them about it in a, you know, sort of a, a long form conversation. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, we thank you again for listening. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>